players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Containment Priest, Leonin Arbiter, Collector Alf, and many others battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat. They all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by Boshmerl on YouTube, Thraven University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Tales of Adventure. Get sweet legacy staples and much more at ToaMagic.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 72 of the Eternal Glory podcast, Judge Shred. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for this week, available in our Patreon-exclusive Patreon -exclusive pre-show. Pre Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access. Full disclosure here, we're recording this one on May 10th, a little bit earlier than normal, so that our editor, uh, the wonderful Phil Bleckman, can go on vacation uh, as planned. Gentlemen, how are you doing tonight? Honestly, I'm furious at Phil that he wouldn't move his vacation plans for, to keep to our schedule. Like, does he value a commitment as a professional or not? Does he value a commitment as a professional or not? This is an outrage. But in all seriousness... Enjoy your vacation, Phil. And also, shout out to Akia and Justice, who are our new Patreon supporters since our last episode. A little light on the new acquisitions, but like I said, or like Phil said, we're recording this one pretty quick after the last one. It's going to be in the can for a few weeks, so I hope to read a lot of names next time. Yeah, and if some of the stuff that we say is, like, obvious or, like, we feel like we are working with limited data or something, like, just keep the recording date in mind when this goes live. Past us. Past us only knows so much. Future us, we'll know more. You're giving me a little bit too much credit, Phil. Come on. All right. Bryant has known the same things since 2007. Accurate. Nothing more, nothing less. Dark ritual goes burr. Yep, he's a steel trap on the inside and the outside. All right. Uh, jokes about Bryant's lack of range aside, uh, which by the way, he has like very clearly like proven his range many times, right? Legacy Premier League citation. We're going to start today, um, as we often do with a Patreon submitted question. And we actually liked this kind of topic so much that it's probably going to be roughly half the episode. Or more. Like, I I'm ready to go off on this. Uh, we'll, we'll respect your time, listener, and not go into a two hour episode like we used to, but... I have a lot to say about this, and it's a good topic. All right. So we're not going to read the, the question verbatim because it was like a very beefy paragraph with a multifaceted set of questions. But essentially, uh, Max set, sent in some questions asking on like, how do you interact with judges and the legality of plays? What are judges for? What do you do when people are trying to cheat or rules lawyer? Um, and we're, we're just going to kind of delve into this just kind of generally speaking we're all knowledgeable competitive players bryant and i were both level two judges so like we, we we have experience in this stuff under under our belt yep so the first thing i want to talk about is what judges are for they are there to keep the game and the tournament on the rails in every conceivable way for the most part uh, some things fall into to jurisdiction like are the bathrooms clean and functional a judge is not in charge of that but 
as far as the rules in the game and making sure the game is played cleanly, and if something goes awry, it is fixed consistently big picture. And by consistent fixes, I mean if you get a game rule violation and you make a mistake in September of 2020, you will get the same fix in September of 2022, uh, provided that policy hasn't changed. But uh, you're going to know, okay, this is how this works, and the judge will just fix it in this way. And you'll know that the judge's friend didn't get it fixed a different way, or a different judge didn't fix it a different way. Just consistent application of rules and policy is what judges are for. Yeah, but it, how, how do I know the judge did it right? Where can I look up these things? Is there some special document or maybe multiple documents I need to know about? There are. So the magic comprehensive rules is the first thing that judges need to familiarize themselves with. And this document is a nightmare. It's just hundreds of pages of really intricate detail about how all of the magic rules work. Players should be familiar with how the game works. And if you're really trying to perform on a competitive stage, you should probably at least be familiar with that document, if not read it outright. The next thing is the infraction procedure guide, which is what sort of rules can be broken at magic tournaments and what happens when they are broken, like what the guide to the fix is. And it explains the philosophy behind the fix. And this, these are all publicly available. You could just search magic IPG and read this and understand why judges do what they do. And the other one is the magic tournament rules. This document describes things like how many Swiss rounds based on players and uh, how do buys calculate into Swiss round player counts and various things like that. These are the how tournaments are meant to be run outside of the game rules type documents. Uh, and the three of those things together are the triumvirate from which judges do basically everything. Quick uh, thing here. In 2019, I believe, they made it so that when you were getting deck checked, you can watch your deck be checked. It completely changed the game for me because I would always be super paranoid that somebody was going to steal my deck, which is something that happened at a Gen Con in the early thousands. But, you know, you hear rumors of that stuff forever, and it just made me terrified that somebody would steal my deck. They changed that so that you can watch yourself be deck checked, and I just love it. So props to whoever came up with that. And, well... Let's talk about that for a second, because they were not allowing players to watch their decks be checked at Star City Phil or Pittsburgh just two weeks ago. Uh, I was sitting next to David Lance, and he got deck checked one round, and he has a beautiful all-foil Yorian death and taxes list, and he was like, uh, yeah, sure, uh, where can I come sit with you? And they were like, you can't. We have limited resources, and we're not splitting up our judges, and we're not going to let you watch us check your opponent's deck for obvious reasons, and... He was not the only person I heard make that request, and it got denied. So something is going on there. I could see Bryant's face, and I imagine Bryant would go to the mat on that one of like, F you, homie, I'm coming with you. Appeal to the TO, appeal to whoever you need to. Uh, but yeah, it sounded wrong when they were making that decision. And that's going to help. This is going to come up later in how you talk to judges. The way you talk to a judge could help you reach some sort of solution here. I promise you, the solution when you're talking to a judge, no matter what the context is, is never to get mad and start yelling. Yep. Treat it like any any interaction with uh, an authority figure, a, a teacher, whatever you have kind of for a template. You know, if you present facts, facts, you know, make your case, you know, show why you believe something is that way. Um, you're going to have a much better conversation. Right. Let's circle back to that because we are going to talk about what if a judge is wrong. 
later, a little down the road. The next thing I want to talk about is how judges answer questions. And judges answer questions, basically, they will answer a rules question so you understand the rules. They will not coach you to make a correct play or an incorrect play. They won't coach you at all. If you call a judge over, uh, let's pretend you are Steve Satan playing Flash Hulk. Your opponent in round five of the GP, where you're 4-0, finally asked you to actually play out your combo and didn't just concede to the flash resolving. This is a real thing that happened, by the way. And Steve Satan didn't know how his combo worked. He was just like, oh shit, I guess we got to figure this out now. You cannot call a judge and say, judge, how does flash combo work? Or judge, how can I like make the cards in my hand add up to 10 storm? Those are not things they can help you with. I've been doing it wrong. They can Yeah, you, you blew it. What they can help you with is answering rules questions or judge how much mana will I have if I cast all these rituals in my hand versus if I seek, if I cast this, then this, will this count for threshold? Like the second one is a question you can answer. The first one is not. Another thing that judges have to do is answer the question that was asked where this is the classic one. Judge, can I pithing needle blank? You can pithing needle any card name as long as it is a legal magic the gathering card you can name pithing you, you can name it for pithing needle not every card has an activated ability that is needleable needle specifically says unless it's a mana ability C- judge can i pithing needle lion's eye diamond yes judge can i pithing needle basic island yes judge can i piz- pithing needle icarid Yes. And these are all things that I've seen pithing needled in real life. It happens. Judges have to answer questions. As long as the question is within the realm of a question they can answer, they will answer it directly. Because it becomes coaching if they say yes, but it won't do anything. Then they're in the realm of coaching and they just have to answer the question that was asked. And this came up hot when Underworld Connections was a standard staple back when Mono Black Devotion was the deck. Underworld Connections is Enchant Swamp. It might be Enchant Land. I don't remember the exact text, but it's a three minute enchantment that you put on one of your lands and that land gains tap, lose a life, draw a card. The common question was, judge, can I pithing needle Underworld Connections? And the answer to that question is yes. However, Underworld Connections gives that ability to the swamp it's attached to. So in that case, you do need to Pithing Needle Swamp to turn off this new activated ability. The swamp can still tap for black, but it can't draw a card with Underworld Connections. And things like that, you got to be really careful of because the judges, they're to help you play a clean game, but they are not there to help you play a good game. You have to do that on your own. And I'm going to give our listeners at home a big tip here. So usually you raise your hand in the air, you call judge, you ask your question, the judge answers your question, gives you an extension on time, and then goes about their way. If the judge gives you that time extension and then stands there watching your game, waiting for something to happen, think about what you're doing. You might have asked something poorly and not gotten the information you wanted. Because like I've definitely seen multiple of these pithing needle calls where like the judge is waiting all right i answered your question but i need to stand here because i know what's about to happen but i can't tell you preemptively to stop this yeah that's a good life hack if the judge doesn't walk away after you get your answer you're probably about to mess up the next question here is like when do you call a judge and the first thing i'll say here is i don't think people call judges enough judges are there to clarify rules for you when you are playing at home on magic online the magic online game engine takes care of a lot of the things that a judge could do for you in real life if you are not sure physically like hey what order do these things go on the stack does my trigger go on first or does my opponent's trigger go on how does this fringe interaction work you can ask a judge to to clarify those things. And 
like they will give you the information that they they can give you 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 are not the bad guy you are not angle shooting if you call a judge you know it is not outside assistance to call a judge and ask like hey how does this work that person is there to help the event run smoothly and to make sure people are on the up and up when it comes to interactions right judges are not the police like you don't call a judge when something is a crisis you call a judge if you just have a question, think of a judge as like Google rather than like 911. Uh, feel free. You can Google whatever you want. Get the answer. I've been playing Magic for a long time. I was a level two judge myself until I just let certification lapse this year and played at the highest level of this game. And I still am good once or twice a tournament to call a judge. Just make sure something works the way I think it does. And it's perfectly normal to just be like, oh, I got a question. Hold on a sec. Call a judge. You walk away from the table. They answer your question, then you sit back down. Do that. Use them. That's what they are there for. A lot of times, if your opponent doesn't understand something that's going on, and you can't articulate it clearly, you can call a judge and have them do that for you. So for example, with Thalia and Trinisphere and things like that, all sorts of fringe weird interactions can come up, and you can just say like, okay, I know it costs this much. Hey, judge, can you explain to my opponent why this is the case? Right. And a really important layer to this as well is only judges can answer those questions. Your opponent does not have your best interest at heart, which is something we're going to talk about in the second part of this section, where if you say to your opponent, can I pithing needle your lion's eye diamond? Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Go for it. Get in there. Or how big is that Tarmogoyf? Your opponent can't lie to you, but they don't have to answer. They could just like, look you dead in the eye. Or if they if they say like, your Tarmogoyf's 4-5, right? But you know there's a Bitter Blossom that's actually two types that's not being counted. They could stare into your soul and not answer the question. Or they could shrug and say, that's derived information. Or all the tools are there to figure it out. Like they can shrug off your question without really answering it and lead to game states that are intentionally ambiguous, but not against the rules. Asking the match next to you is outside assistance, which comes with a match loss penalty. You should not lean over to the people next to you and say, how, do, how does this work with this? And if someone does that to you, you should say, you should call a judge. Yeah. In general, I don't think people call judges enough. It's, like, it's just so free to do. And I, I do it all the time, even if it's like a simple action interaction I just don't know or I should know. Sometimes I'll just want that extra clarification. It takes two minutes and then you go about your day. Right. And that's assuming all things are good. Even when things are like getting a little wonky, I guess we'll talk about this in the next section more. But if your opponent, even if they don't look shady, even if they just make what appears to be an honest mistake, you probably still want to call a judge in that situation because you know who made a lot of honest looking mistakes? Alex Bertoncini. And that is how he ran rampant over the Star City Circuit for so long. It was just like, oh, oops, my bad. Yeah, you're right. Uh, this card does uh, does only draw two cards, not three. My mistake. Let me just put one back. And enough people let him do that. Eventually, he got banned, not for any specific thing, for a, but for like accumulated game rule violations. Tomoharu Saito as well. That's what his ban was for. Accumulated game rule violations. Accidents happen. But if you call a judge and somebody is given a warning, that warning goes into the system where the judge academy reviews people's files. Like every game rule violation you've ever gotten is in a spreadsheet somewhere. Someone can look and be like, they're good for like one GRV a tournament and they seem to be up and down for them. 
But if someone's good for two or three GRVs in a tournament and they're all positive, that person is probably cheating and would never catch that if you don't call a judge over little things. I have an Alex story. Turn one, game one, first time I'm paired against him. He fetches, plays a Deathrite Shaman. Turn two, he like activates the Deathrite Shaman for mana while like also fetching his library to play a spell and doesn't remove a fetch land. And I just like look the guy dead in the eyes and I'm like, remove your card. And what I should have done there is called a judge judge. and gone like, hey, my opponent is not removing his cards. Document those things. Help catch the cheaters. I have a story like that as well. It, It was it's not Alex, just some person. I don't even remember who they were. Irrelevant individual. We were playing for like day two of a Grand Prix or something. And I was on Urza and they were on some blue white control deck with Snapcaster Mage and they were just dead on board and top decking and they were just sort of like two turns in a row. They were like cryptic to tap draw, cryptic to tap draw, just sort of treading water, not doing anything. And I have Graft Figure's Cage in play. I go to combat on the third turn, my third lethal combat in a row. They go into the tank for a little bit with their one card in hand and they're like Snapcaster Mage. And I said, okay. And then they targeted Cryptic Command and I said, okay. No rules have been broken yet. And then they tried to cast Crypt to Command, and I said, cut it out. And they said, okay, I'll concede. Where my mentality at the time was, this cheaty shit isn't going to work against me. Just pack up your cards, kid. Uh, like, who do you think I am? But my mentality should have been protecting tournament integrity. That person, if I had called a judge, would have been DQ'd 100%. Just even the most amateur investigation from a trained judge would result in, yes, I tried to cast my spell through a cryptic command or, or through a graph digger's cage. And intentionally breaking the rules is cheating. And in my head, it was like, their tournament is over anyway. It didn't work against me. Not a big deal. But I thought about it for like weeks after that of like, damn, I let a cheater go. And that that feels really bad once you you really dial in on what that means for the next person who maybe isn't as sharp or forgets about their graph digger's cage and that cheater gets away with a game win. Like, you really got to call that shit. Going back to the how to talk to a judge question, one thing I've noticed that cheaters, their stories always change a little bit. And that's how you can often find someone that may not be telling the truth about their situation. And I have a good, you know, memory of playing in day two of Grand Prix Las Vegas. I get paired against somebody on Black Red Reanimator. On their second turn, they put Gristlebrand into play. They put Sire of Insanity into play. They think for a little bit. They move some cards around in their hand. And then they say, go and discard to seven. I look at my opponent for a solid 20 seconds. I don't say a word. I look at Joel Lissette, who's sitting next to me. He looks at me. I look back at my opponent. It's not like 30-ish seconds. I go to untap. My opponent says, you need to discard your hand. I call a judge. Judge comes over and they're like, did you discard down to seven? And they're like, no, I discarded my entire hand. And that's when a couple unlockers go, okay, I'm going to talk to a judge. Like they get up from the table, whatever. Through the process of appealing to the next judge and then asking to talk to the head judge, all that stuff, this individual story changed four times. I mean, that's pretty easy to tell that you were lying. Plus there's people watching, which isn't always the case. But if you can't even get your story straight, how's a judge going to believe you? Yeah, that's that's the thing that uh, you see in like uh, lawyer TV shows and cop TV shows and uh, all of these places where it's like, it's easy easy to keep your story straight if your story is just true. You don't have to keep your lies straight. You don't have to remember what you told to who. You just have to recount events accurately. And when speaking to a judge, you want to convey the events as they happened confidently, calmly, 
and take your turn. A thing that happens all the time. I've been to so many tables where, okay, your version of events, what happened? And someone's like, well, I did this. And immediately the other player's like, no, 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 you did this, that, blah, blah. It's like, okay, stop. You're going to get a turn. If you're yelling over each other, you're just going to waste all our time. So one person at a time, tell me your version of events. Now you tell me your version of events. If they don't add up, I'll ask some follow-up questions. And judges are trained to ask the correct follow-up questions and find the right result. On the other far side of the equation here, every once in a while, you're going to get paired against someone where, like, this is their first competitive magic event and they have, like, no idea what the fuck they're doing. It's okay to have a little pity in those scenarios and kind of walk a new player through kind of what's going on. Everyone has their first GP or whatever, right? I absolutely remember playing against an Infect player at, I think it was a GP or it was a major Star City event where in my match, they got four GRVs or what, like four judge calls in two turns. And like, they just like got game lost or match lost out of the match. Guy walked away fuming, like was probably new to competitive magic. And like, he was real mad said some mean things and 10 or 20 minutes later he like found me walking around the tournament hall and he was like dude i'm i'm sorry like i i, I should have had my stuff together more before coming here and like i think about his maturity a lot and it's like like good good on you for realizing that but like maybe i should have had a little more patience with someone who was new you know there's there's a real weird line to tread there yeah so i mentioned the three documents the uh mtr the ipg and the comp rules there is another document. It's called the JAR, Judging at Regular. And that is specifically for regular REL, which is what FNM is. I usually only talk about competitive REL because it's the only level I'm, I want to play at. I actually hate regular REL, both as a judge and a player. But regular REL is where you're supposed to learn those things. If somebody just comes out of their basement for the first time in their life and jumps right into a Grand Prix, day two of Grand Prix is pro level REL. Like that's a you're at you're on the like the biggest stage you're allowed to just walk onto is a Grand Prix. You should be responsible as a player for knowing the comp rules, the IPG, and the MTR if you're going to step foot in that arena. If you're willing to take a bunch of judge calls to learn the hard way, that's your crash course. Good luck. Judging at regular, regular REL, it's basically, there are two solutions when a judge gets called. It's educate the player or disqualify them. Those are the only ranges. And it, it's, there are no warnings. There is no escalation path of warnings up to game losses. It's like, okay, yeah, that's not how that works. Let me teach you about this. And then, uh, okay, continue with your game. Or you cheated. This game is unfixable. Get the fuck out for the day. <laughs> See you next time. And most things are just educate. And there's also an unofficial phrase for judging at regular, which is deviate like hell. <laughs> Uh, this is from Toby Elliott's mouth. Uh, deviate like hell is his advice at regular, where we talked about a consistent experience in the IPG and MTR, how they guide you and your cousin and this other person you don't know across the span of two years at three different events are going to get the same treatment. Leaving policy is called a deviation. And at regular, deviate like hell comes from the top where it's like, all right, what do I got to do to fix this game? Because we don't have game loss as a tool. We don't even have warning as a tool. I'm going to wiggle this thing around until it makes sense to everyone involved and we can keep playing. And regular REL, FNM, store level events are where you should be getting your four judge calls in two turns, not at the Grand Prix. Yeah, FNM is where you get the judge. I just shuffled my sideboard into my deck like, 
What do I do? You get a surprising amount of that sort of stuff. Yep. For sure. To make those people feel a little bit better, Phil, at the Legacy Pit Open, not once, but twice, I forgot to put my wish targets back in my sideboard and then just had them Didn't in hand because throughout of the day. I did. I open-handed pure with seven mana. <laughs> I don't have any excuse. I should know better. I also had to awkwardly call a judge when I went to go Burning Wish for my Echo of Aeons that wasn't there. So, I mean, we all make mistakes. I wasn't trying to scum anyone. It happens. None of us are perfect. On the topic of like good paper magic habits, every time before I start a round, I physically count my 15 sideboard cards and make sure they look right. That is one of those things where it's just like so easy to get talking to someone at an end of a round and just throw your cards in there. That is absolutely one of my end of round plans every time. Or sorry, beginning of round plans every time. Yep, I do it end of round and beginning of round. Uh, The amount of time I spend on that might be slightly neurotic. Like I actually organize my sideboard by like color and mana cost. And those 15 cards are not only in my sideboard, but in the same order. That's what I do. At the end and the beginning of every round. That just helps. Another point on this with how to talk to a judge. If you make a mistake, you call a judge. And you be honest about exactly what you did, and you do it as soon as you notice. Because mistakes happen. Judges have all sorts of vehicles to fix mistakes. The vehicle for fixing a player lying about a game state, or letting an illegal game state persist, or lying to a judge is disqualification. It's cheating. So if you open your seven-card hand, Bryant, there's a little nuance that I'll explain. But if it's game one and you open your seven-card hand and peer into the abyss is in it, you need to raise your hand and call a judge. The judge will say, okay, no damage has been done. The game hasn't started. Let's just fix this and carry on. I'm pretty sure in current policy, you don't even lose a card. They just take that card into your sideboard, fix the deck, and you replace it with a legal card. It's not even a forced mulligan or anything. It's very lenient when no damage is done. If you just pocket it, you just stone face it, you're like, oh shit, I fucked up. I'm going to play through this game and just not cast the peer or hope they don't notice it's not a main deck card. And it gets sniffed out, you're out of the tournament. So just be honest, call quickly. Where Bryant is not a cheater is that in sideboard games, the only rule is your deck has to be at least 60 cards and your sideboard can't be more than 15 cards. So if you present 62 cards post-board with a 13-card sideboard, that is a legal deck and you don't have to call a judge over that. So Brian's not a cheater. He's just a dummy. I would agree with that. I can't help but think... uh... I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but I remember reading a post on the source back in the day about how 61 cards, it's like a dog that has shit in its fur. It's not going to hurt the dog, but it really doesn't look good. So that's what I think of all the time. Somebody get the dingleberry scissors for Bryant. Uh, And if you want to like read about some math of 61 card decks, I have a sweet article up on my website with a whole bunch of math showing you exactly what that 61st card does to your deck. Math nerds are awesome. Horrible, filthy things. All right. Okay. Uh, What if a judge is wrong, Phil? Never been there. What do we do? Judges are human. Like we have training, like there is a a judge academy, there is a certification process and and people level up to various degrees of judge showing off their their knowledge and expertise and experience. But judges are going to make a mistake, especially if it's a format they don't play a lot. Like you might have an incredibly talented judge who mostly judges modern events. And then you go like, hey, how does Chains of Mephistopheles interact with this? And they go like, "Uh, hold on, let me read that card. And sometimes you are going to get a wrong ruling. And what you can do here is first, please let the judge finish their ruling. And, and, And this one's important. Let the judge finish their ruling, like say what their fix is, say what they think it is. 
And then once they have finished, you have the right to appeal to a judge that is above them. This is usually going to be the head judge, but in larger events, um, it may be a judge that's kind of in charge of that section of the floor. And that head judge or other judge will make a ruling that will be final. Please don't interrupt the judge as soon as they start talking. And like, that is going to come off as as rude. And I believe um, there's even a penalty associated with like, cutting off a judge and like trying to appeal before their ruling is complete. Is Does this ring a bell, Brian? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, there is unsportsmanlike conduct is a penalizable offense. And there is unsportsmanlike conduct minor, which this would fall into, which is a warning. And then there's unsportsmanlike conduct major, which ends the match. You're out. Uh, you're not out of the tournament. It's not a DQ, but the match is over. These are unsporting behaviors that are so heinous that your opponent is no longer comfortable sitting and playing a game with you anymore. And these are things like racial slurs or uh, slurs about uh, and anything like about their race, religion, sexual orientation, etc. Uh, that's going to end the match and you're going to lose. And then the judge is going to talk to you some more to see if you are apologetic or repentant or seem to understand what you did wrong. And it might still end up as a disqualification if you're just aggressively racist with no apologies. Like that, that is not actually okay at a magic tournament by rule. A lot of the times the judges will not make a wrong ruling if you explain the situation clearly. A couple of times when I've seen like air quote wrong judge calls, it's because something was left out of the player's explanation. So like explain yourself clearly and if the judge starts talking and you feel like they've missed something, like, it's okay to say, like, hey, this card is in play too, does that change this interaction? And a lot of times, like, when a judge realizes they're missing a piece, like, they will fix themselves on the spot and an appeal won't be necessary. My favorite story of a wrong judge situation was at SCG Syracuse, and I believe 2018. There was this person, I entered the, I don't think there was a main event for Legacy, but there was a side event. And round one, I get paired against somebody that I recognized from the source when I was a kid. They were on death and taxes. And, you know, props to Phil, getting people to, conning people into playing white cards. Um, so... We play our game, we're going into game three, and my opponent takes a mulligan. And I didn't realize it, they mulliganed to seven. So we're in the middle of game three, I cast that probe. First section of the game, I cast probe. I look at their hand, I'm writing it down, I go, oh, there's seven cards here. And I'm like, we could call a judge, but honestly, you're just dead. Like, with your seven cards, I'm going to turn one you right now. It's not going to matter. There was a judge behind me. And they stop the match, which is fine. No big deal. So they walk away for a little bit. They come back and they go, Bryant, we need to talk to you. I'm like, okay, sure. We go away from the table and they tell me that I'm possibly going to be disqualified for cheating. I'm like, what? This doesn't make any sense. Uh, and they said that I was trying to gain an advantage by not forcing my opponent to mulligan to my bird trap. And here I am just going like, what? My opponent mulliganed to seven and you're going to choose me of cheating. And they're just like, yeah, you were trying to gain uh, an advantage. And an investigation went on for 45 minutes. And at the end of it, they decided that I could continue to play the event. But the judge that initially started the ruling 
came and talked to me after and said that they felt like I should have been disqualified. And I was just like, I've never been more angry at a judge the entire time. And I, I bit my tongue, but I didn't want to. It was a tough situation because you can't be a jerk to judges even when they're wrong. Right. That judge in no circumstances should have come back and said, like, I think my ruling was right, not the ruling of the head judge. That That's a whole whole nother issue. That's trying to go above your boss there. Uh, there there's a couple things about that story I want to point out. One of them, you said 2014 this happened? 2018. 2018. Okay, so policy changes regularly. Most policy changes are done in favor of lessening penalty or lessening impact. The fix for that at the time would have been your opponent has to I actually like I don't even know that they would have ever had to get a new hand. I think they would have had to randomly put a ha- card from their hand somewhere. I, or... I believe that is the fix. That is what came to mind for me in that right. time period yeah, as well. Like that's why I thought you said twenty fourteen, because like the whole thing seems preposterous, but like no version of policy involves that player having a new five or six card hand. That that's just not a thing. But you did the right thing of just sticking to the facts chilling out and like whatever if bryant had started yelling and becoming belligerent unsportsmanlike conduct would have been on the table which is a separate thing that he may not or might be true even if his rage is dignified it is justified you can't pop off on a judge cedric phillips uh beloved cedric phillips uh spent a an amount of time banned from tournaments because of a situation like this he was accused of cheating And the judge was completely wrong, and there was an investigation where Cedric got very angry, and the judge, it was determined, was in fact wrong, but they couldn't have people scream and throwing their shoes around the venue, which is apparently what Cedric was doing, and he spent some amount of time banned from the DCI. That's like a dumb kid response to a difficult situation, and you can't be a dumb kid, even if the judge is a dumb or wrong individual themselves. So uh, just keep a lid on it and work your way through it. And sometimes judges are just wrong. I'm going to tell one more story before we move out of this section. One time I was playing against Natural Order Bant. This used to be a deck. It was just a control deck that also natural order progenitor some amount of the time. And my opponent cast an end step Vendillion click. My hand contained Spell Pierce and Perish, which is two and a black destroy all green creatures. They can't be regenerated. And my opponent called a judge. And I knew this judge call that was happening away from the table was Dodge Perish destroy Progenitus because Progenitus has protection from everything. And I knew the answer was yes. And my opponent came back confidently took the spell pierce with their vendillion click and then slammed natural order on their turn and then i untapped and cast perish and their and i they said that doesn't die and i said yes it does and they said the judge said it doesn't and i said i'm sorry you were told that we're going to call a different judge and basically what happened is the other judge was like oh yeah definitely it's dead and then the first judge had to issue an apology but all they can really do in that spot is apologize like you can't back up the game at competitive when so much has happened. Uh, so if a judge is just wrong, an apology might be all you get. So knowing the rules yourself, so you are at least aware of your ability to appeal and know when to sniff out when an appeal is correct. Or like if you're having a rules conversation away from the table with a judge, rather than like appeal, you might just be like, are you sure about that? Can you double check and circle back and then appeal if they refuse to do that? Yeah, sometimes judges are just wrong. A quick side note about that error, Brian. The rules were so harsh back then. Like, if you accidentally mulliganed and drew seven, you, it was just game loss. Like, 
that's what it was. Uh, I remember being at an SCG and watching someone attempt, like this person was fairly new, attempt to Caracas or Progenitus. It was just game loss. Things back then, there was no jokes, there was no fixes. It's just like, if we think there's even the slightest intent of cheating, game loss. I don't know that that was the same era. I know that was the in the early days when judges didn't know what the hell they were doing other than just trying to keep people honest. Any mistake was a game loss. Yeah, just if you look at policy changes over the last 20 years, things are really lenient right now, which circles back to my point of if something is wrong, especially if you did it, call a judge and the fix is going to be better than disqualifying you for cheating. So do that. Speaking of cheating, let's get into our next section. Best ways to cheat, right? Like, we're teaching people how to cheat now? Yeah, yeah. Is that what we're doing? Yep. All right, so you can get a certain number of GRVs before it really matters, right? So you want to maximize the number of GRVs you get without it counting against. Yeah, it's like fouls in basketball, right? Uh, The first four are free. But no, uh, not really. You want to play a clean game. So there's two two versions of this that I want to talk about. There are what people may call rules lawyers or uh, what some other folks, angle angle shooters, uh, scummy play. What judges refer to this as is not sporting conduct. We talked about how unsporting conduct is a defined rule breaking behavior. Not sporting conduct is you kind of roll your eyes and say, yeah, that's legal. And much has been said about this in many venues over the existence of Magic the Gathering as a competitive endeavor. And I think the most practical way to approach this is, one, you can't get mad at an angle shooter because most angles are left open by you, their opponent. If you are playing tight, if you're keeping track of everything, if you know the rules, you are not going to get angle shot. So if you leave a door open for someone to walk through, you have to accept some amount of responsibility for that. And... The rules of a competitive game are laid out. These are the things you can do. These are the things you can't. If you feel bad about something that someone does that is legal but feels dirty, you're allowed to feel that way. But ultimately, you are wrong. And you can decide if an, if you see an angle open up, you can decide if you're a person who's going to shoot it or not. And I am not going, at least I personally, from my hyper-competitive background, I am not going to judge you either way. I have angle shot in my career if the stakes are high enough i'll do it again but in general i'm at a point now as like an older more mature individual where i will either correct something that i see like a mistake that leaves a door open or i will just assume the best of my opponent and i know what they meant and just play right but if it's like the pro tour final or about to pro tour top eight or finals of a pgq i don't know what my line is but at some point i'm gonna take the angle if it's left for me I want to just like remind our audience viewers at home that many like amazing on camera moments that are like hugely memorable moments are results of someone angle shooting and realizing that their opponent doesn't notice something. I give all my legal targets fear is a great example of that one, right? Where you look like you are presenting lethal damage. You don't do anything like shady. You just say like, I give all my legal targets fear. You turn creature sideways and you see what your opponent does. Yeah, for, for those of you who don't don't understand that reference, Profane Command, Black Black X, it has a number of modes on it. It's in the Cryptic Command cycle. One of the modes is your target player loses X life, and one of the modes is X target creatures gain fear until end of turn, which is can't be blocked except by black creatures and artifact creatures. Patrick Chapin famously cast Profane Command for Drain Mode and Fear Mode. 
but he had Chameleon Colossus in play, which has protection from black, which means he can't give it fear with his own spell. He said to his opponent, I will minus X you and give all my legal targets fear. And then he confidently turned all his creatures sideways, including the Chameleon Colossus that could be blocked. And the opponent just scooped up their cards. That's what happened there. And that is a famous angle shot or Jedi mind trick, depending on who you ask. But it was completely legal according to the rules. And you can feel mad about that. Or you can pay attention to the board state and block the Chameleon Colossus. So angle shooting is one thing. But you are also going to get opponents who try to intentionally misrepresent the way that magic cards work and that di- that's different angle shooting is i'm gonna take my shot i'm gonna see if you're paying attention and you realize how this actually works whereas like there are some other things that are just like straight up cheating and like there there's a clear difference between those uh, i just want to clarify a little bit because i feel like misrepresenting what a card does is exactly what patrick chapin did with his profane command but he did it within the rules so Most angle shots do either create ambiguity in the game or take advantage of ambiguity in the game, but they don't break the rules. Like Patrick Chapin, if he had said, and give all my creatures fear and put it on his opponent to realize there was an illegal target, that's cheating. But give all my legal targets fear, creating an ambiguous statement about which of his creatures are unblockable. That is legal, as long as when the opponent says, wait, I could block this, right? He says, yes, it doesn't have fear. Like, that's the difference. Okay, um, so let, let's do this with a practical example that used to come up in Legacy all the time. Uh, you have a counterbalance in play, and you have a wear tear, which is a split, split card on top of your library. So, Brian, right now, uh, in the year 2020, what is the converted mana cost of a wear tear on top of your library? Well, Phil, the year is 2022, for starters. Oh my gosh, did I say 2020? <laughs> it's been uh, a I long know, all, year. It's March 2020, and you can't tell me otherwise. But right now, the rules of split cards have been cleaned up so that the converted mana cost, or mana value, if you will, of a split card is always the total of the two halves. When it's on the stack, it's the half you cast. But when it's in your hand or in your deck or elsewhere outside of the stack in your graveyard, it is the total mana cost. So the mana cost of wear tear is three for the purposes of counterbalance. It can counter three drops. For the purposes of Spellseeker, you can't go get that. For the purposes of Sunforger, you can cast it. So three is the number. But there was a time, and Max brought this up in his original message to us, where split cards worked as each of the cards is looked at as an individual card. So a counterbalance revealing wear tear today counters a three drop a counterbalance in 2015 would counter a one drop or a two drop but not a three drop because counterbalance shows you the wear it shows you the tear but it doesn't see them together so this is a situation max is a friend of mine i was actually around when this thing happened that he brought up where he either he cast it into or a friend cast a three drop and the opponent flipped counterbalance and just sort of looked at the opponent flipped wear tear to counterbalance and just looked and was like just sort of looked at them and waiting for them to put their three drop in the graveyard or resolve it. And the player was like, uh, does does this counter? And the player was like, uh, they add up to three, which is not an incorrect statement, but it doesn't affect the rules of the game at the time. And it, it was just sort of this weird staring match of, you going to let me get away with this? And eventually a judge was called and it was fixed. But that sort of thing is actually cheating. You can look at your opponent and see what they want to do. 
But if they go to put their card in the graveyard, you have to say, no, no, that doesn't counter that. If it, that player had let the card go to the graveyard, they would be cheating. Yeah, and uh, in, in terms of competitive REL, something to keep in mind is you are usually in charge of your own triggers. Like, you're responsible for making your own triggers happen. You're responsible for making that sure that they resolve properly. When you start doing something shady with your own triggers, you are probably putting yourself in a bad situation in terms of the magic rules. So, for example, like, let's say you've exiled something with a palace jailer and your opponent becomes the monarch. Uh, and, like, when they become the monarch, you have to give them that creature back. If you don't, you are intentionally skipping over a trigger that you control. That's not going to go well for you if a judge is called. So, like, even if your opponent is totally spacing out and, like, doesn't know they're supposed to get their Gurmag Angler back or whatever, like, give them that creature back because, like, you are very likely to get yourself DQ'd if you don't. Yeah, this is uh, called the Frost Titan rule. Or at least if you're old as me, it is. Uh, Frost Titan is if you, it had an early version of Ward, like a non-keyworded version of Ward, where if you target Frost Titan with something, you have to pay three or that's countered. And at the time the Titan cycle was printed, people were just like, I'll path to exile your Titan. And you say, pass priority. And they say, okay, I'll pass priority two. And then you say, you didn't pay three, it's countered. If your trigger requires an opponent to make a choice, you have to inform them of that choice. You can't just priority pass and let them miss your trigger. That's not how the game works. Popular examples of missed triggers are Chalice of the Void and Eidolon of the Great Rebel. Those are the two big ones in my experience, where if your opponent has Chalice of the Void on one and you cast Brainstorm and they say, okay, they have missed their trigger and you can resolve your Brainstorm. It's their card, they need to play it. But that's scummy, Brian. If they cast, we we had a conversation about scummy already. Uh, is what it is. These are the rules. If you're going to put a card in the deck, you should play it. If they cast brainstorm into their chalice and miss air quotes miss their own trigger, they have cheated. That is their card. It's not their trigger to miss. I haven't seen a lot of chalice players casting spells into their own chalice, but I see a lot of Eidolon players casting spells and just sort of leaving up to the opponent to remind them to lose two life and call a judge the first time that happens. I'm telling you, uh, that burn player did not forget Eidolon is in play. They know, and leaving it up to your opponent to remember your detrimental triggers is cheating. So just call a judge the first time it happens, get that shit squashed. To give an anecdote on something similar, like I, I play with Thalia, Guardian of Thraben very frequently. Over years of playing competitive REL events, I maybe have two or three like lifetime GRVs for not paying for a Thalia tax. Like that is the sort of thing I am 100% paying attention to. But if you are finding an opponent like very early on in an event that is missing their stuff, they're either like not paying attention or they are intentionally cheating. Like call your judge, keep them honest, document that stuff. Yep, absolutely. Slow play is something that's tough both for players and judges because the rules around it are a little bit ambiguous. It's really hard to say what is slow play. Like there, there is a you know dictionary definition for it. Um, but sometimes, like, you, you look at a situation and, like, is or isn't it slow play? That's sometimes tough. There is a distinction in the rules between what is called slow play and what is called stalling. Slow play is something that can come with a, a GRV as a penalty. So it's not it's not a GRV, like getting in the weeds. GRV is game rule oh, violation. Right. Slow play is a uh, tournament rule violation. So it's not a GRV, but it is a warning for slow play. It, it just... 
in case it matters for those of you really in the weeds on the judge stuff, if you get three of the same warning in a tournament, it gets upgraded to a game loss. So you could get two GRVs and two slow play warnings, and those are two separate upgrade paths. So just that may yep. matter. But continue, okay. Phil. Slow slow play is is you doing your actions in a a time that is not really reasonable. You're taking too long to do your actions. Whereas stalling is intentionally manipulating the clock to try to have an impact on the tournament. So for example, when your control player is up a game and there's two minutes on the clock and the control player is just like, yeah, as long as I ride it out for this, I I win. And they're just like shuffling their cards back and forth. They're not making any decisions. They're just kind of like waiting like 30 seconds doing nothing. And then they're like, yeah, I'm going to go to my second main phase. And then they're doing nothing there. Like that sort of thing is probably that person like very obviously trying to stall for the clock. So the aggro player has fewer turns when it goes to time or something like that. Uh, and that's handled very differently. Right. And the difference between that of the, them like farting around wasting time without taking action and taking actions that waste time in game is different. If a control player can't win the game, but they can like cryptic command or, or fog your team six turns in a row and force a draw while playing at a reasonable pace, that's legal. They they can use the information of, I'm up a game and this is how tournaments work, to, they don't have to win that game, they just have to not lose it, but they can't intentionally run time off the clock to get there. All right, so we're, we're going pretty heavy into the weeds with this question. Um, do we have anything else we want to say here, or do we want to dedicate a few minutes to Ledger Shredder at the end of the episode? I want to bring back the call a judge advice. If you think your opponent is playing slow, they are, and it's not going to be fixed unless someone tells them to play faster. I have a number of different ways I say this. Like sometimes I'll usually start with like seven minutes on the clock, just remind them that there is a round clock. Sometimes, uh, like if that isn't effective, I will say these rounds are timed. Let's go. Sort of nudge them along. If my prompts don't work, I will call a judge, and you can request a judge. Stay with your match and monitor the pace of play. That is something you can ask a judge to do, and they will take a seat and they'll watch a few turns and make sure things are moving right. I typically do, I'm going to need you to make a decision. I'll do that twice, and then the third time that I would say that, I usually call a judge. Right, so I need you to make a decision is fair. Uh, That is basically the same thing a judge is going to say, of like, I need you to make a play. Uh, That's something I've said thousands of times as a judge, and when a judge says that, it's time to make a play or you're about to get a warning because if you're like in your head where it's like, is this slow play? Like, am I into slow play territory here? If you're having those thoughts, then yes, you're in slow play territory. Also, don't be afraid to talk to your opponent at the beginning of a round. I've had a couple of opponents who are three or four turns into the game. I realize like, okay, they're playing a blue white control deck of some kind. And they're like lollygagging, they're like chatting, they're like fetching slowly, and like, I will poke them at the beginning of the round, and I'm like, okay, hey, this is essentially a control mirror, this is going to take a long time, we have to pick up the pace of play now. Yeah, uh, don't wait until it's three minutes on the clock to call the judge or have that conversation, like, sometimes, like, you don't want to feel like a jerk, but at the Legacy Pit Open, I played against a show-and-tell player who... I was on four color band. I knew my rounds were going to take a long time. They were on show and tell and they were just like a really friendly, chatty, like clearly borderline casual individual. And they were just like, when I would counter their show and tell, they'd be like, oh man, you had another force of will. That's a pretty good one. (laughs) And, And like just the act of like getting their spell countered 
was like a seven to ten second ordeal and then they're like putting in the graveyard like oh that's gonna be tough to rebuild from it's like okay shut up come on like i understand that you want to have fun and i don't want to be a jerk but like you can win a game in one turn i can't like i need you to respect that this is a shared round clock and it's okay to have those conversations don't say shut up though that was just that's my internal monologue but on the outside i will say like hey come on let's let's play we're getting close to our time limit here but since we promised some ledger shredder Let's just say a few brief things on it. So this is a card that has put up a lot of results very quickly. In about a week, it has 12 finishes uh, on MTG Top 8 in a total of, I believe, five different uh, formats. Standard, Pioneer, Modern, Legacy, and Vintage. This is a card that 100% needs to be on your radar for competitive formats moving forward. I will back that. Yeah, this one is a heater. Uh, I don't know if other people were talking about it. I tend to not really pay a lot of attention during spoiler season because I don't make spoiler content and uh, there's so many spoiler seasons that it's hard to keep up. Uh, I don't remember any buzz about this thing, but just looking at it, I'm like, holy guacamole. And then actually seeing it in play is nuts. We haven't read this card, have we? We need to do that. One in a blue, one three flyer. Whenever a player casts their second spell each turn, it connives, which is draw a card, discard a card. If you discard a non-land card, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. So I think when most people, myself included, first read this card, they went, ah, it's kind of like a sprite dragon, but it triggers once a turn. That's kind of whatever. But a couple of distinctions here. This is whenever a player, this is you or your opponent, or if you're in commander, you got a couple of opponents. Second spell each turn. Now, there's two turns in, like, a turn cycle in Magic, right? So you can cast two spells on your turn for a counter and two spells on your opponent's turn for a counter, and the same is true of your opponent. So, in theory, if you both are throwing cantrips back and forth or fighting counter wars, this thing could grow four counters in a single turn cycle. I almost achieved that Super Saiyan level. Uh, I recorded with this card mono i played mono blue delver which is apparently a list that five owed and this video is going to be old news by the time you're all hearing the podcast but go check it out there was a turn where i it was a turn two i cast a turn two ledger shredder and then cast surgical extraction as my second spell because shredder counts itself as the first spell the turn you cast it i played shredder surgical uro or some shit and connived and then on my opponent's turn they cast two spells connive then on my turn, I went like, you know, ponder, brainstorm, connive, attack for four. Just in one turn cycle, the first attack this thing had in play after it came off summoning sickness, it had already connived three times and attacked for four. Just bonkers. Yeah, we had uh, intended on really going uh, into a deep dive in this card, but uh, that may end up being the uh, episode topic for next time around or something like that. Uh, I expect this is not the last time we will see this card. Uh, and if some creature like say Merktide Regent were to get itself banned out of Blue Red Delver, like I'm looking at a real sweet replacement right here. So there is one thing I would like to say. Lightning Bolt is not a card that aligns super well against Ledger Shredder because like Brian mentioned, it counts itself and then the next card that you play on the same turn, which could be a Mishra's Bobble for zero mana, would then make the Shredder even larger. So if you're the Delver player, if you cast a cantrip into Lightning Bolt, that also wouldn't work because Ledger, tr Ledger Shredder will trigger before the bolt will resolve, and then your Lightning Bolt deals 3 damage to a 2-4. 
So if Lightning Bolt isn't going to be effective against Larger Shredder or Murktide Regent, a lot of people are looking at white cards right now, Prismatic Ending, Swords of Plowshares, because they also beat the bully of the format from the previous few weeks, which is Green-White Depths. So in this Sunday's Legacy Challenge, we saw the most played deck was Jeskai Control, a deck that's certainly a Brian's Alley. So if you're looking to play competitively right now, think white cards and effects that beat those white cards. All right, I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed, and we'll be back again in two weeks. Keep on shredding, and tag us in sweet Ledger Shredder screenshots. Like, we would love to see those. Yeah, we're going to revisit this card next time we record, I'm sure. (laughs) 